welcome. My name is Douglas Getz, and you've found your way to the Diving and Thriving podcast. Here, we have enlightening conversations about how we can better navigate this sometimes crazy world we live in. From refreshing spiritual perspectives to tips about personal growth, the focus here is about how we can become better human beings. So I'd like to thank you for being here today, and I hope you enjoy this episode. But yeah, I'm happy to finally get you on the podcast. I know. Yeah, no, this is good. I wanted to, like, I see you you post really awesome things on Instagram. Mm -hmm. Like, I really like the views that you put out. And, like, it's always valuable to see issues in a different light. Or, like, with a different lens. And I I see you put that out. And it's really refreshing. Mm -hmm. Like, especially related to, to diet, to exercise, not being too hard on ourselves. That stuff's valuable. Totally. Yeah. That's really like the, what was so helpful for me because honestly, exercise and finding nutrition that actually made me feel really good um, was so pivotal in, in my transformation story. And, and I realized that so much of the culture around exercise and dieting was really about like being so hard on ourselves and like and how I had already been putting so much pressure on myself and I was like I actually love these things and nutrition in and of itself has like saved me in many ways mentally and physically and then exercise too it felt like really liberating but when I I began to look at it through through the lens of like liberation instead of really trying to change my body um that was when i really stepped into wait these are really really powerful tools and i don't think the media really completely represents it for what it is yeah and what it really does you know they're really trying to sell us on our pain yeah our pain points yeah they're they're yeah. always trying to sell us on mm-hmm. on those kind of things because they make money from it, clearly. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I really, like, believe that... I mean, I don't get why the the pain points are the way to sell. It's like, well, well, you know, empowerment is, like, really what it does. And th- that is more... That, for me, feels like a, a greater thing to bring into, into our life. So the fact that the media does that, um, I, I, you know... I feel like it has some catching up to do. Yeah, but even then, empowerment is like a pain point, too, for people who lack the confidence. Mm, true. Go to the gym. Look good. You'll get that confidence. You want to know how to look good? Take this pill. So true. <laughs> it's always like, yeah, we're that's such a good point because it's always like we're not there yet. And these are what we, what we have to do in order to get there. And, you know, I, I really have found in myself that that like acceptance like like radically accepting my self um pretty much no matter where I I am on my path has been a great uh antidote to always wanting more always trying to feed into like I I want to do this or I want to change this about about me because like us as humans we always 
have that wanting to fix mentality. So yeah. like really just coming into some like acceptance, some radical acceptance of like who I am in this moment, um, bring a lot more peace in and like it calmed the storm a bit. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So how did you get into it? Like what, what made you start down the, the body liberation and the, the diet and the, the new way of viewing it? It started when I was a teenager and I was really struggling mentally and, and physically and, and, you know, really manipulating my, my eating at the time and was using, you know, eating and eating too much or eating too little as a lack, as a way to handle my stress Mm -hmm. and I began to get treatment for those things and um, maybe at around 15 years old 14 15 and then I started to realize at some point that that I could gain the maybe I'm going to go back to the the lens that I had when I was then, but this is not how necessarily I view it today. Yeah. But back then it was like, I can gain the control that I didn't have going on of the stress by, instead of going down the maladaptive road of coping skills, so like coping skills that are really harmful, Mm -hmm. I'm going to choose coping skills that are really helpful. Yeah. So it was like kind of pointing my my lens and my arrow in a different direction um, in order to combat stress and combat anxiety and depression Mm -hmm. that I had had really taken a toll on me at a young age. And I decided I, I started working out and like, and working out and building muscle and really that I felt like stronger. Yeah. And I felt like more, I felt a deeper sense of connection to myself. So then I wanted to study, study exercise physiology and health science and health, um, everything about how to really become well and empowered. And that's like when it kind of began to head down that path was, I was like, I should study this because this has been so life-changing yeah I didn't know where it would go but that was how it kind of started yeah so what was your like relationship with food back then Mm -hmm. like how was it like I mean because I know I think everybody kind of has an interesting dynamic with food just like money just like other stuff I mean romantic relationships is another prime aspect that all of us have how we interact with a, a partner yeah. And and what kind of things you've taken in from our parents and how it shows itself regularly, constantly. How often do we eat a day? Mm-hmm. How often do we get stressed? And what are our coping mechanisms? I mean, yeah, yeah. Especially if if you could, if you come at it from a, like a teenager's point of view, or yeah. like you're you're definitely you don't have too much to go off of, like exactly. So yeah, it's yeah. Back then, it was I really began to struggle with eating symptoms back when I was 14 years old of uh, restrictive eating and, um, you know, even other symptoms around eating disordered behavior. Mm-hmm. And that, that like, I 
believe and still very much believe that, you know, treatment, like, like either any type of, of psychological treatment, you know, is, is very important when you're at certain stages within, uh, within an eating disorder at all. So I had to get treatment. So I, I did that around 15, 14, 15 years old. Yeah. And that was crucial for my like survival. That was really, really important for, for me to seek treatment and to not be scared. I mean, yeah, it was scary to get treatment because this had been my like way that I was coping with the world at that point. Was not eating enough or? Generally not eating enough, but my symptoms had switched. So like they just kind of depend on the time that I was experiencing, you know, that bout of, uh, behaviors, but, and and generally, yeah, that was what it was back then. And it kind of, it transitioned out, um, into (laughs) a getting treatment and then, and then I was good for like 13 years. I was really, I was good. I, I had like worked with, uh, for the most part, like I had really established a a pretty decent relationship with food and, um, and exercise. And I had done that mostly on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You said you, you got treatment at that time. Mm -hmm. Like what were some of the takeaways from that treatment that, that helped you? And like, you said you also did it on your own too. So what were the, the kind of like, little pieces that that aided you to that to that new way of of viewing things like yeah I got treatment at a facility like a eating disorder treatment facility inpatient uh I think I was there for like 20 26 days or something Mm, okay and that was so critical at that point for me because I really needed a safe place to focus just on on my treatment and and me and I like yeah yeah. and then you know getting out of that they put you into like intensive outpatient so you kind of have these step downs into where you're eventually on your own and doing the things and I you know I did continue in therapy for maybe a a year or two after an inpatient stay at, at 14 15 but yeah um and I would say my my biggest takeaway from that treatment was learning to advocate for myself. Mm. Because that was something that I really began to make myself super small. Um, not only like in the way I looked, but the way I treated myself. Mm-hmm. And through treatment, that is just such a something that I've learned is is advocating for myself and what I need. Because... Like that is just so important yeah. in general, and also especially with someone struggling with the eating disorder, learning how to be like I, I, I need help. I like I I need to, I really need to tell someone about what's going on because it can yeah. be like really dark and lonely within that time period, and um, so I began to learn how to speak up for what I needed. Mm, that's big. Yeah, a lot of people have trouble with that. Like I've, I've found I've had trouble with that too. Like 
certain things are going on. I've noticed if I ever get to a point where I say to myself, you know, I should be able to handle this myself. Like I should, I'm 26. I'm this age at this time. I should be able to handle this myself. If, cause I, I figured this out. If I say that to myself, that's usually the point when I need to talk to somebody else about this, whether it's my dad or a friend or mm. like spread some of this pressure that I'm feeling out among my support group, get some feedback. Yeah. Like one of the, the beautiful things about like being able to share things with my dad is mm. that he would make jokes about stuff uh-huh. and I would be really under intense pressure or if I was going through like a relationship issue or yeah. having trouble deciding something, I'd talk with him and within like two, three minutes, he'd be making jokes and we were always the, the relationship where it was never like, you can't joke about stuff. Mm-hmm. We could joke about anything. Mm. And it would lighten the mood. Yeah. And it was so beneficial because it was like, oh my gosh, I was just stressing about this for the past week. And yeah. now I'm laughing about it. Yeah. So something like that was just so valuable and important because... God, that just took all the pressure off my shoulder. At least I can laugh about this now. We don't have to resolve it in this moment, but at least we can laugh at it. Totally. And I really (sighs) think that's wonderful to find or or to even to find someone who can do that for you or um, just being able to even just speak it out loud because sometimes the things that we don't say sometimes persist and sometimes we speaking them out loud and to someone it can either you know in your case lighten the mood and make things be like wow you know life I'm making life really challenging um and I feel a lot of pressure and that really happens to so many of us but sometimes hearing hearing it or saying it out loud really can just be the pressure release that that we've might be yeah. just like holding on to for so yeah. long. Yeah. And that's, it's valuable. And even like I've found like sometimes cause I'm not too big on social media. Sometimes I'll post something on social media if I'm going through an age difficult time. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's few and far between, but whatever we can do really to, to release that pressure is yeah. so valuable. Yeah. And that's like a great starting point, whether it's talking to somebody or, or whatnot. It's like I said, if I, if I ever have that thought of, I should be able to handle this on my own. That's like an indicator. I should share this with somebody. Right. I should bounce this off of somebody else and see what they think. Yeah. It could be something small as just scheduling how my spring is going to be set up. It could be something like that. Yeah. But still, hugely valuable. Totally. So, yeah. And sometimes, like, allowing ourselves to be supported when we really feel like we really should be strong, we should be able to handle this. And it's like allowing support, like, is is uh, challenging. <laughs> Um, first step, but, uh, beginning and yeah, just learning to like advocate for what, what you need is a tremendous skill. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, that's hugely valuable. Like a lot of people think it's all on them. I've I've gotten to that point too. It's all on me. Yeah. Like, but yeah, there's, it's, it's extremely valuable to be able to ask for help. Totally. But for sure. Yeah. But uh, no, it's super cool that, that you've gotten, like that you've dove into the, the diet culture so much mm-hmm. because like I've had my own issues in, in relation to food. I know other people that have it like much worse or m- different problems and sure. 
varying levels of severity mm-hmm. and whatnot. And I haven't dived into it too, too much. So I'm kind of like on the outskirts of it. Yeah. My, my kind of view on food, it was always an interesting one, is that like I've always had the, the issue of not thinking I weighed enough or wanting to weigh more. Uh-huh. That was like kind of where I was at, always wanting to eat more food, but then not really having the diet to produce that. Like I'd eat like a good amount of food in the beginning and then mm-hmm. I'd be full and then maybe 30, 45 minutes could go by and then I'd be like, oh, I could have, eat, I could have eaten some more or whatnot. Yeah. But then I'll, I would like kind of stay at a state of like kind of constantly like a little bit hungry. Uh-huh. And people would look at me and be like, Doug, you eat so much food. Yeah. I was like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not like where I want to be. I'm not like gaining the weight I want to gain. And so that's, that was like my kind of like relationship with food. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it comes down from our parents, like a lot of the issues that we have, whether it's trauma mm-hmm. or different things get passed down in some respect or another. And my mom was always the one that would say, like, why am I the only one that can gain weight in this family? From, like, little ages. And like, oh, then, like, we might not eat too much at dinner. And she's like, what, are you guys going on a diet? Like, why am I the only one that gains weight? And yeah. just, like, little comments like that sure. kind of exacerbate it. Right. And so, yeah, I'm starting to, one of the recent things that I've done is, is start to make it an effort to eat double portions. Uh-huh. And whatnot, just... Whatever I think is like one portion, double it. Yeah. And then just take your time in eating it because I'll eat a good amount at the beginning and then it'll be full and then 15 minutes will pass. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, now I can eat some more. Mm. So yeah. it's like, oh, and then this gets me slowly more to where I want to be, like in relation to where I want my body weight to be, pretty much. Because yeah. I've never had an issue with going to the gym. That's been like a pretty consistent thing. It's always been a relief, too. Uh Uh-huh. A relief. That's great. Yeah, yeah. The other aspect, um, because I've never been a big fan of going on runs. Mm -hmm. Like, I've always just lifted. Me neither. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right? It's it's something to get into. Like, I was was kicked off my track team in eighth grade because I didn't want to run the 800. I refused it. (laughs) So I got kicked off. Complete. Refused. But I use runs nowadays as a way to clear my mind Uh if something's going on like if I'm ruminating about something and just going over and over in my head something stupid or something big Mm -hmm. whatever it is and I just need a break I'm like all right let me go on a run yeah because if you're because when I'm on a run my mind's I don't have really the the amount of like mental like capability to think about it the way I want to you're you're running you're, exactly. you're breathing. You're focused on putting one step in front of the other and trying to keep your lungs full. Just yeah. <laughs> it's so true. I think that, like, yeah, it's, it's a great point about, about our goals, what they might be, and how we can use nutrition to, to reach them. And I have, I have to say for, for me and, and my experience, something that has been so incredibly powerful is this something that you're already doing and you're also also finding out how to best meet your goals while doing this and this is through intuitive eating and this is something that I have found to be so beneficial for me like I mean I I have a, a general sense in terms of when it comes to 
what I need to eat. So in terms of like, okay, I, I, you know, I need protein and I need carbohydrates and I need fats and those things. Like I, I get that, but I mm-hmm. do not overthink it too much. What I, I do is for me, I have a, a portion portioning for me is, is very simple. I have like a strategy that I use with clients for, for portioning and it's, it's very simple and easy, easy to do. And I'm, I'm, you know, and it's only if it feels good for them and they want to learn this. I always like, I make sure that it's, it's something that they want to do and feel it would be applicable and, and helpful. Yeah. Um, what's your strategy? I use the hand, like I use the, the hand as a reference guide. So, mm-hmm. um, so for instance, a, a serving of protein mm-hmm. in in general could be the the size of like your palm mm-hmm. okay and then for like a carbohydrate it could be like your cupped hand mm-hmm. all right and then for a fat it would be like the size of your thumb it would okay. be like a serving and this, this is like this is just general and you know it's it's mm-hmm. not but it it's sometimes gets a little bit confusing and like for you if you're trying to double your portions that could be a way you know, as well that you could utilize yeah. if it would work for you. And also what I find to be really helpful because, because that is, that is portioning. That is not necessarily intuitive eating necessarily, but can be very helpful for some. And then when it comes to intuitive eating, once I like make my plate or make my meal, then what the, the best foundational foundation for me is mindfulness when it comes to eating. So and that can be getting off my phone, getting away from technology, off my computer, and those two things can be really helpful. Um, in so terms helpful. Of, yeah, checking in with my body, like how yeah. is it going? How am I yeah. feeling? Am I am I feeling satisfied from this? And something that I believe in strongly is the satisfaction is noticing when that satisfaction starts to decline, and noticing, like. I'm not feeling as satisfied from this. Okay. So maybe I'm approaching my fullness, but you can, can, you know, continue eating. And then, and then noticing your, what's called last bite threshold, like asking yourself, I feel like I'm coming up on my last bite. I feel this fullness approaching, like asking mm-hmm. your gut, is this my last bite? And listening mm-hmm. for the answer, the yes or no answer. Yeah. And then, you know, eating the last bite and, totally enjoying it, putting your fork down, but knowing yeah. that you can come back to it, knowing that you can, if you wanted to, this is not like a, a, you know, end all be all type of thing, but like for, mm-hmm. in, for your case, you know, when you feel that, that desire or that, you know, I, I want, or I, I'm feeling hungry again, like, you know, whatever amount of time after that could be a time when, you know, you begin to utilize some strategies in, in intuitive eating yeah. to really, basically just gauge your hunger and your fullness levels. Yeah. Yeah. I saw it really apparent. Um, actually the last gentleman I had on the podcast was a guy that I met at Firefly back in 2019. Mm. Stayed in good touch with him. He's a yoga teacher, um, up near the Lansdale area in Bluebell and whatnot. And like, I saw him practice intuitive eating when I was with him at Firefly Uh and he'd be eating something and he would just go through it and he'd be like, he'd take his bite and he said, I'm good. (laughs) And he would do that with, like, alcohol and other things very intuitively, like, I'm good. Yes. And I was always raised to, like, finish what's on your plate. Don't Uh waste anything. Yeah. 
So to see him do that, I was like, wow, look at that. That's another way to go about things and being very in touch with your body Mm -hmm. and say, I'm good right there. I don't need any more. I'm, I'm, I'm content Yeah. right there. I was like, whoa, how about that? So it was, it was a different way of, of seeing food, of, of eating food. Cause like, Mm -hmm. It's, it's really nice to go out into the world and see how other people do things because mm-hmm. it, it provides something that you can compare your ways to. Yeah. So how somebody else does it, you say, oh, that's interesting. And then you pick up certain things, you leave what, what doesn't apply, you pick up what, what could be exactly. valuable. Yeah. And so seeing that was a real different way of, of eating, relating to food. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, that's really cool. So true. And something that you mentioned earlier was like, getting passed down to our parents that like clean the plate mentality yeah. that is can be passed down even generations and generations and generations mm-hmm. and you know i there's countless starving people exactly, in the world yeah they would kill to have this exactly you better you know, finish your plate the narrative it, it's strong and and i see this um too and and i think that learning to even if that is something that you value is one of your value systems but maybe you want to learn intuitive eating could be wrapping up food. Like we're not wasting food. We're going to wrap it up and like you're doing, like keep it for, you know, maybe a couple hours later or the next meal or whenever you're feeling that urge to eat again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the clean, the clean, the plant mentality is something that, um, you know, is, it's actually easy to even fall into, uh, not that it's necessarily, you know, there's a right and wrong answer here, but, but, especially when I'm utilizing technology, like I, and you know, watching a movie while I'm eating or something, I realize, you know, it's just, I just look, I'm using vision to, to gauge um, if I'm almost done. Like, yeah. instead of like checking in with my body. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I always am about like wrapping up food and then if it feels good to eat it later, go ahead and like yeah. enjoy it. Um, but yeah, definitely mindfulness has been so, so crucial around eating and, and, um, for me and like checking in about, you know, okay, I really, I want something like, I just had something really sweet the other day and I, I wanted to eat it because it looked so good and it sounded great. And I had a few bites of it, but you know, I really checked in with my stomach and I was like, Ooh, this dairy thing is not really feeling that great. Yeah. And you know, I basically formulating this relationship with myself and I see it within clients formulating the relationship with themselves when it comes to mm-hmm. their wellness routine, their exercise. And I really believe in like mindful exercise, like you mentioned, and just be the life changing. And it's so, I mean, just gaining these, these, this relationship with yourself who you're with 24 seven for the rest mm-hmm. of your life. It's yeah. just like, it's, it's changed everything. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of wild that. Because we really don't check in. Some I don't know what the percentage is, but like I know I'm guilty of it and not checking in with myself as much as I should. And in fact, you can eat something that is not making you feel good, but you'll finish it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, these first couple bites didn't feel too great. I'm going to keep eating. Mm-hmm. Or I'm just, just finish my plate or whatever it is. And it's like, it's kind of wild that we do that. And then we feel bad after the fact, whether it's like, knowingly eating mcdonald's or knowingly eating certain foods that we know don't make us feel good mm-hmm. and just choosing that regularly and whatnot um fun uh and it's also like different cultures vary it sure. i remember why i came across one thing online because the the finish your plate kind of mentality yeah. is a very american culture kind uh-huh. of deal 
I remember coming across one thing that in like Asian cultures or certain Asian cultures, mm-hmm. uh, if you finish your plate, yeah. it means you're still hungry. Ah, uh, that's feeding you. Yeah, so yeah. they're like, oh my gosh, you're still hungry. Oh my gosh. And then they'll put more food on your plate. So to to finish your eating, you had to leave some food on your plate so that mm. they knew you were full. Mm. I was like, oh, that's really interesting. That almost makes sense in a way, just a socially, a social cue. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, definitely a social cue. Wow, that's, like, that is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, other cultures have different ways of looking at things. Um, I know France, like in, in certain European cultures, really take their time with food and meals and different things. Mm-hmm. And like dinner could last two, three hours. Yeah. And like really it's drawn out between the relationships with the people at the table, uh-huh. the wines paired with each course, right. and just, just taking your time with it. Uh-huh. And I remember I had a professor who worked in France for a while, mm-hmm. and they looked at Americans like... How long do you think it takes the average American to eat breakfast? So, how long do you think? I mean, maybe, like, to eat, like, 10 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah they said 12 minutes. Yeah. For them, it's about a 45-minute ordeal to eat breakfast. Wow. It's like, oh, look at that. Yeah. Over there, they have required 45-minute lunch breaks. That's beautiful. Required. I think You can't go back amazing. to work before then. They stop you. Wow. Yeah. It's so true, Doug, and I think that like the we like feel almost guilty, like that that notion that you mentioned, like the guilt, um, the guilt to take like a half hour to forty five minute like time for breakfast or like a full hour for lunch, and it is not a waste of time to sit down at a table and turn off your technology or put it on airplane mode or whatever you need to do to check out and check in with yourself and your your gut and what you're what you're wanting and how it's feeling and your as you're eating it and really yeah. to check in with your fullness it's not a waste of time it can be foundational in formulating this relationship with yourself because i mean honestly asking someone to start a meditation routine because it's good for your wellness sounds great but then but like that is not always realistic whatsoever or the first stage at all so it's like but do we eat three times a day at least most of us yes mm-hmm. so like Finding that we can find this relationship begin to cultivate within something we already do three times a day can be like, oh, wow, like I, I, I'm starting to something with myself, this relationship of care and listening, mm-hmm. and it can begin yeah. to seep into other areas of, of well-being. Yeah, yeah, that intuitive checking in with ourselves is, is hugely valuable, mm-hmm. and like food is definitely an area that we can use it in. Yeah. Like, how foods make us feel. We can tell really quickly, oh, this yes. is agreeing with me or this is not agreeing with me. I agree with tell that. Tell really yeah. quickly. I mean, it was really funny. One time uh, a while back, I stopped drinking regular milk. I drink almond milk now with mm. my cereals and, and different things. Okay. And the I remember exactly the day that I switched because it was like around 7 p.m. I just got home from school. It was, I was, should have made dinner. Didn't have the energy to it, didn't feel like it. I was like, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. I eat a bowl of cereal, pour regular whole milk in it, eat it. And then like five, ten minutes later, it felt like my stomach was just so... It felt like I had an udder. Mm. It's an odd way, but it was like the perfect like way to equate it is like my stomach was an udder. It was like pushing out. Mm. It was all that dairy. And I was like, oh my God, I, I wish I had like 
little nipples on my stomach to kind of release all the pressure that was in it. It was insane. Uh, yeah. I was like, I'm done drinking milk after this. This mm-hmm. is insane. Mm-hmm. And then that just stuck with me. Yeah. And so certain dairies can make you feel like that. And you're taking it from a cow and cows have udders and different things. And it's kind of just transitions into people. Yeah. So, yeah, that was that was like an intuitive thing for eating. Cool. But also in relation to like technological devices. Mm-hmm. So, and it's really crazy that, and, and we're all guilty of this, I'm guilty of it, where we do things that we know that aren't good for us. Yeah. And we keep doing it. Okay. Yeah. And with, like, if I'm not feeling well or if, like, I'm, like, kind of unconscious about what I'm doing, I'll just spend long amounts of time on my phone or computer or watching videos, not mm-hmm. caring what I'm watching. I feel like everybody's guilty of it nowadays. Yeah. And it's sure. it's a kind of like a bit of a coping mechanism, like a bad coping mechanism. Uh-huh. Because if I'm avoiding something or if something's going on that I'm not a big fan of or I haven't responded to this like text or I haven't decided like for example what my new schedule is going to be and I haven't responded to that text and I'm just basically killing time or avoiding what I need to be doing until I can't do it any longer. Uh Whether that's I've pushed off eating for so long and Mm -hmm. now I have to get up and get food because I literally can't stay in bed anymore. Or something else comes up that forces me to like, all right, go figure this out now. But the amount of time between I know something's up and then actually doing something about it and the amount of when I fill that space mm-hmm. with just endless technology, it makes me feel like shit. Yeah. I, I've been there too, Doug, and I yeah. like completely agree. And I mean, that is like a classic example of procrastination and something that so many of us, including me, have been, and I don't want to use the word guilty of because it's something that, I mean, guilt just is like sometimes not that helpful sometimes it is but sometimes it's not but basically how I feel about procrastination as a whole is that sometimes we have a task and we basically avoid it because we build it up in our mind as as something maybe even bigger than it is and we build it up so much and I and really the I think that that's a great example because the mindlessness that comes into using our technology yeah. and those types of things, I've had to build build literal structures in my life to make that not so. So I have something actually on my social media accounts where if I go a, a, after a half hour um, used through the day, it'll pop up. It's the setting and I have that. So Mm -hmm. it's like a check-in with myself. Like, okay, I've been on this for a certain amount of time and then it'll go off every 15 minutes after that. Yeah. So that is really helpful in terms of the use of technology. Yeah. And for me, at least just to become a little bit more aware, even if I decide to click like, nope, Nope. we're going to continue on. Like at least I'm aware of how much time has gone by. Yeah. And I think that like that it becomes like a conscious decision that has to be made when it comes to getting off of technology at a mm-hmm. certain point. And I think that for me, something that 
can be the most helpful in that is having a go-to thing that I do that is not technology. So it's like, if I, if I like, because there's so many things that could be like, oh, I'm avoiding doing, like you said, the thing that I yeah. have to get done. But if I get off technology, I'm not really feeling like doing that yet. No, so for, for like you or someone else or finding something that is your go-to when you get off of technology. Um, and for me, for example, I've just started to learn to play music in the last few years. So mm. it'll be like, I'm just going to do something like I'm going to pick up the guitar and and even if it's only like five ten minutes i i will utilize something like that and honestly it doesn't have to be you know something particular but think about like in your life something that makes you feel good and maybe it is creative because honestly when we're taking in social media it's so much consumption and sometimes creating can get yeah. those juices flowing yeah so like you know, something in your own life that gets your ju creative juices flowing because we don't always open up that space to be creative because we think we have to do the thing that we're putting off. But really, if we can like just move towards like, wait, I'm going to do something I enjoy that's creative, um, even if it's just like, like doodling or, um, or, you know, creating something that I, I like to do, anything. That can be, and it doesn't have to be something creative. It can be anything else that you find that could be your go-to to yeah. get off technology. It, yeah, like either calling a friend or yeah. speaking to a family member, a loved one. Yeah. For me, my thing is has been going on runs. Mm. Like just, just let me, because I've I've had many times, and this is it's a great example. It's become a a good go-to for me. Mm -hmm. I found that works for me, and not so much just like lifting weights, because if you lift weights, you do a set. You have a minute of downtime, your mind's still going. Yeah. So I found going on a run, I'm engaged for 5, 10, 15, uh -huh. 20 minutes. And I can't think about what I'm thinking about when I'm pushing off uh -huh. the way I have been. Yeah. And like, especially with technology, it's really interesting because like the scrolling goes on, you see something new, everybody knows the dopamine hits that you get from it. Right. And... It's, it was really interesting. Even just yesterday, I was, I was laying in my bed and I was transitioning away from technology and scrolling mm -hmm. and did a tarot card reading. And as I'm reading through the book in, in relationship to what came up, like I can't, I think the thought came up maybe eight, ten times of you should stop this and go back to your phone. Uh, mm -hmm. Countless. And I was mm -hmm. like, oh, geez. Mm -hmm. So it came up a handful of times yeah. and it just... It's, it's, it's really interesting how we build it up in our heads. Like I have to fight this urge. Like yeah. this is a really great urge. And then I finished and I was ready to go back to my phone. And then the thought came up, you don't want to do this. Mm. I was like, yeah, you're right. I don't want to do this. Mm. So I put that down, but it's, it's a huge thing. Technology is probably one of the biggest things that everybody has fights with nowadays. Cause yeah. it's so prevalent. It's so it's in your pocket all the time. So true. Yeah, just what do you do when you're bored? It's kill five minutes on there. Yeah. And it's so easy to, and it's the go-to. Right, and, and five minutes can turn into 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, oh and all of a gosh. sudden you're in this, like, time warp. I've killed hours. Yeah. Everybody has. Right. It's, like, it's so, so, common. so common. Hours can just go by in, in a flash. Yeah. I find a, a good way also for me is I am a total fan of airplane mode. 
mm. on my phone. So yeah. if I have just been on social media or the internet for a while on my phone, I will, you know, pick something else to do. And I like your example of exercise because that is a go-to for me too. Yeah. Like it's like, okay, I've been sitting here in this world. Let me like move my body. And even if it's only for five minutes, I literally put like very small stipulations on myself, if at all, when it comes to exercise. I was like, mm-hmm. like it, I, I could be like one minute. I'm just going to do one minute of exercise and yeah. I'll do, you know, 10, 10 squats and 30 seconds of planks. And like, that's all the pressure I, I put. It's no pressure basically at all for me yeah. when I break it down to that small. I, and I, I find that sometimes, you know, just throwing the phone on airplane mode and actually just letting it, it like, I have to turn off airplane mode to begin. So it's like, I'm making a conscious <laughs> decision and yeah. yeah, to like, you know, and even before I, I have my, all my social media apps on the last page of my, um, of okay, yeah. my phone. So mm-hmm. I have to swipe over a few times to get to it. So as I'm swiping over to get to them, I'm setting an intention. Like, what is my intention for going on Instagram right now? Yeah. And that has been so helpful. Instead of having the Instagram on my home screen when I open my phone, it's like mm-hmm. back within and I have to go a yeah. while to like. So even four swipes to get over. I have to, to make a it. conscious effort. Yeah. And like decide four swipes worth. Yes. This is what I'm doing now. Right. Instead of just the go-to. Yeah. 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 That's cool. So, and I know you're also hugely into mental health. Mm-hmm. And you've had, you're, you're pretty, you're pretty deep into it. Like CBT and DBT. You were explaining to me that earlier. Yeah. The difference between CBT also and Also TM or Transcendental yeah. Meditation. Yeah. Like I remember coming across like Jerry Seinfeld when he was making Seinfeld. Oh yeah. That he was using that as an active way to kind of keep himself sane during the process and he didn't really worry too much mm. so yeah you have a good history so I kind of want to dive into that like how how you got into mental health and sure. to the level that you did yeah so prior mentioning remember I, I said uh in terms of my mental health history when I was a teenager I was good for like 13 years yeah after that and then when I was around 26 so like quarter life kind of crisis um, type of feelings around that time, but I experienced uh, some really, really hard hitting things in my life. And that, those old coping skills, I, th- I thought I was good. I thought I was really good. I'm like 13 years of recovery. I like got this in the bag. This is, I'm good. I'm recovered. Yeah. And it struck up again when I was 26 and I, I was using, um, you know, eating and not eating and those types of things as coping skills again. And it was really hard for me to, to feel incongruence with who I was after like studying in school, physiology and nutrition and these types of things. And to be like, wow, I'm, I'm really, I'm so far away from, from what I want to be now, you know, especially after my history and what I've learned and I know what to do, but I am having such a hard time applying it when it comes to this like high level of stress that I'm experiencing. Yeah. So I like, I technically like relapsed around 26. Okay. And, um, and again, I, if like someone is in like, a that, you know, into it, getting, seeking professional treatment is crucial. And I had to do that again. Yeah. So I was back in the same treatment center that I was in, mm-hmm. uh, I, that I was in at 13. 
at 26. So 13 years later, I was again in the same building in this beautiful place in Pennsylvania, but I like, I couldn't believe it. I was almost in shock. I was like, how yeah, did I Yeah, I remember here? this place. Yeah, I was like, it looks the same. Did you see like, the same nurses? The same people in charge? The same, like, the same structure of the building, the same, like, yeah. all of, it was so similar. And it was like, I was in the Twilight Zone just trying to, like, yeah. be like, I'm here again. Yeah. I'm here again. Like, I thought I healed from this. But anyway, so I spent about, you know, again, like, about 30 days uh, in that treatment center and then struggled again when I got out a little bit, um, ended up um, having to go to a hospital in, uh, in Pennsylvania um, because I was struggling and, and you know, they, they were classifying the eating disorder that I was currently struggling with as like a psychiatric illness because it is, mm-hmm. and not only a psychiatric but physical illness, but that. So I was put into a inpatient mental psychiatric unit yeah and I and in there I really it was I was really struggling with depression and high levels of stress PTSD at the time Mm. um and that is why I was in the the psychiatric unit and I remember feeling like, this is really scary. This is really scary. How did I get here? How did I have, like, get to this place in my life? Like, it was, like, my lowest, one of my lower lows, lowest lows. Um, but my spirit was really strong then. Like, I had really had a, a uh, you know, experiencing, like, traumatic things and suffering from PTSD. And my physical body was weak. and But my spirit was still strong. And I find that to be something that some people experience that like they have a resilient or not even resilient spirit but they have their spirit really does not falter because i i feel that you know our our soul can experience things but our spirit it does not experience the things that um that the soul gets impacted with so i looking back i can see that like my spirit was still strong but it, like i said it was so hard and i just it was so scary in there and I had a really, and I remember thinking like, if I get out of here, I am going to make a difference in mental health because I'm tr- treated like trash in here. I'm treated so bad. I'm so, it's so scary. Like, really? I mean, you know, people did try, that might be like a harsh word, but honestly, the way I started to really see actually the way that they treated mental health, because I was put in like, the mental pace was like the bottom of this hospital mm. and it was like, yeah, basically, yeah. And they just, the way that the staff really didn't care um, was really alarming. And I just was a bit like, almost like this moment is such a juncture where like, if I get out of here and I'm going to make a difference in mental health in whatever way. So about, I'd say, two years after that situation, after I had really helped myself physically and began to utilize DBT therapy, which is amazing for uh, mood instability or experiencing different things. It was made for borderline personality disorder, um, but it can help various 
various disorders um, by being skill-based. And that is something that really differs from some things in CBT because DBT is very, like, you're struggling with with being on your phone, right? Or, yeah. like, even it, there's a skill for that. It's called opposite action. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, doing the opposite of what you want to do. And, like, there yeah. is a set of so many skills in DBT that can teach you for me, like, I might not, I might be so stressed out, I can't, like, make a meal. Well, I'm going to use opposite action. And, like, and that's just one skill within many skills of DBT that can yeah. be utilized. So I began to, awesome. to learn DBT. That helped me tremendously. And then I worked in, after that, in a mental health uh, psychiatric unit as a mental health technician um, and I just decided that I was going to be like a light in there for people who were actually really going through some of the hardest, scariest, darkest times in their life and just like yeah. be there for them and just be a light, like warm light for them. And um, that was my goal with starting my med- to work within mental health was as a mental health technician in a psychiatric hospital yeah. because of what I experienced. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And it, it really isn't like, it's not really the most cared for aspect of our society. I think everybody kind of knows that. Yeah. Like, especially in the old days, you go back 20, 30, 40 years, like even to back in the fifties, like, fucking horrible conditions straight jackets padded rooms just let them yell oh that's jamie jamie she she just yells all day yeah and it's like holy fuck and like the so like the history with that is horrible experiments and everything like yeah so the history is just fucked on and that whole honestly, subject Doug, it's like it's changed in some ways where it's like the conditions are better but honestly when even like when I experienced it on the other side of being a patient, like I was like, whoa. And when I experienced it on the side of like working as a mental health technician in a psychiatric unit, I was like, whoa. Like it like was... Not the greatest on both ends. It just like, it, I mean, there are, we're a, a handful of caring individuals, yeah. um, but the, you know, the, um, it was intense. It was intense for me to not be like, how how are you treating that patient like that? Like, it was intense for me to, you know, to feel like I could make the real difference that I wanted to do within mental health. So I began to, I actually, I was doing personal training at the time too for clients. And one of my clients was a, a psychologist and he was like, and I was, you know, working with him helping his physical body, teaching him meditation and mindfulness. And um, he was like, I love what you do. And I, like, I would love to bring you into my private practice and, um, and have you, you know, lead the mindfulness portion of DBT, which is a foundational mm. portion of DBT. Yeah. So that is kind of how I, I actually transitioned out of working in the psychiatric unit and into a private practice where I'm like helping people with some of the foundations when it comes to mindfulness and, you know, learning how to integrate exercise in a way that is not necessarily for changing your body, but for changing your mental health and stability. Okay. Yeah. So you got out of the mental health facility at 26. Mm -hmm. Then how did you get into 
like the industry on the other end. So did you go to college? Did you yeah. pick up a job eventually? Yeah. So even before, so before I had my second relapse, I had finished college as okay. a, at, and I studied exercise physiology okay. and um, health science. Nice. Um, and got my degree in that, and along with that, got you know uh, quite a few handfuls of certifications in uh, different things relating to health and physical fitness and and um, and all all things around that, and and helping people with like motivational interviewing, mindfulness, those types of things, um, and EFT tapping is something that I truly believe in as well. Yeah, that's another thing that I want to dive into because yeah. there's there's so many aspects that that you listed CBT, DBT, tapping, yeah. what is it? EFT or what's EFT tapping? EFT tapping yeah. and then also transcendental meditation. Yeah. Like they're all it's fascinating. Yeah. Pretty much the the values, the the benefits of each one. Mm-hmm. How did you get into all of them? Like yeah. what was what did you start with? Well, I would say like so I finished my college degree, then I had that relapse maybe like two years later, and then I was totally at like square one bottom, Mm -hmm. rock bottom, and I began to, I utilized DBT as the first set of skills where I began to get my life like back in order using a set of skills. Mm -hmm. So I utilized as a patient at the time DBT, and and then from there I began to to formulate just a healthier relationship with, um, I wouldn't even say a healthier relationship. I would just say I would start, I started to utilize exercise and food as a way just to start to heal again. And it wasn't really this like, you know, profound awareness of, of I'm going to change, you know, the industry in this way at all. At the time it was more just, um, that was how I began to really heal myself. And then I started to to notice that once I began to use mindfulness, uh, which is a foundation in DBT and something that I've studied, that it was more just becoming aware of the moment. And, and that for me was literally like, it sounded impossible, but I began to utilize it like when I was doing the dishes. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just gonna be fully in the moment and like feel the hot water on my hands and the suds and hear the clinking of the dishes and be like totally in it just during this like 10 minutes while I'm doing the dishes. And so it was like only like short bits of like, of mindfulness. And then, um, and then I, and then I have to say that from, from then on, there was a time even for me, like I wasn't allowing myself, I wasn't giving my permission to step into like who I really was for maybe like a year or two after that. I really felt this like deep, deep feeling of like, I am here to help people and I don't feel like I am allowing myself to do that yet because back a few, few back in time at that time, I had began to pick up smoking tobacco in re- the rehab center that I was in. So for me, like... You picked it up in there? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, and even even before that, I have to say, like, I, I but like, that's when I was like, this is a coping skill that mm-hmm. I'm using. So I, for me, like, I couldn't do what I needed to do with that, with that feeling of like, oh, I, I use tobacco. How can I... How can I be like a wellness person? Like 
I had conquered like so many things like exercise and nutrition, but I couldn't, I was like, but I, I utilize tobacco. I smoke American spirits. How can I do this? How can I do what I need to do? And it was overcoming that addiction um, that once I, once I beat that addiction to it that I had, it was like, go girl. Like you, you have overcome so much and like, you literally know how to do like how to overcome. You've studied it. You've, you've learned how to teach people to do it and you've done it yourself. And you've just like overcome like smoking tobacco, like for like, I had nothing else that I like was like, that would allow me to hold myself back anymore. Yeah. And because that was for me in my mind, if I can, if I can, once I quit smoking and using American spirits or whatever, then I'll, then I can do what I, I want to do. I can step into my power. But the thing is that I want to like be clear about is like that I might've had this stipulation at the time of letting myself, like giving myself permission to go mm-hmm. when I was at that, when I had beaten like a lot of the things that I had, had come towards me. But if I would have allowed myself to give myself more grace and not be so hard on myself and just even start before I was ready, um, that could have been cool too. I mean, for me, I felt like that was like my last like kind of thing that I was like, you know, I, I, I can do this. I can do like anything. I've done really hard things. I've come from like really tough dark places and but I was I was able to to like rise above that and and yeah I I think that like yeah I was just so much that I had learned in school had I had applied so much that I had learned in certifications I had applied but but really giving myself permission at that point was like huge yeah 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 and I used tapping later on um and transcendental meditation later on post those things in order to just begin to manage the stress um as it came as okay. it showed up and, and I did actually heal like some some traumatic things that I experienced in the past um but to this day like transcendental meditation and EFT tapping are something that I utilize regularly daily um to to manage stress and to work through tough things so it's kind of like my maintenance those two are like my maintenance that's awesome yeah yeah i kind of want to go into like the different ones and like what they are so like cbt versus dbt so what you kind of explained to me earlier is that cbt is more mental versus dbt is more behavioral that's a that's a, a great way to kind of put it like cbt um is a bit about... And what, is, what does CBT stand for? Cognitive behavioral therapy. Cognitive. Okay. Yes. Versus DBT, which is... Dialectical behavioral therapy. Okay. So CBT is a lot about, you know, fix your thoughts and your life will, will uh, follow. And it is very, very helpful for a lot of people. And mm-hmm. some people feel that it is so mental and that that is not always the best approach maybe for them and you know I'm just like kind of chalking up CBT but it is really powerful and really helpful there's a lot of different strategies within that Um, and DBT is dialectical behavioral therapy and that is the dialectic is understanding that two opposing thoughts 
can be true at the same time. That is the meaning of the dialectic within dialectical behavioral therapy. So for, for instance, you know, in your, your example, like, you know, I, I want to, I want to get off my phone and I'm feeling like I, you know, I'm feeling like guilty about, about being on my phone. And then also, also the example of like, I am, but this is bringing me a lot of comfort and I'm also utilizing it for, you know, the, the reasons of maybe procrastination and those types of things. And kind of when we, when we don't recognize both sides of things that they can, it, it's just not as like conscious. So like both of these things are true simultaneously. Yeah. So yeah, you there know, is a lot of comfort in, in spending time doing that. Yeah, there is. Right. Or like, it's like, you know, or something along the, the lines of like, I'm, you know, I'm jealous of this person and I'm also happy for them. Like both of these two opposing thoughts can be true at the same time. Yeah. And like really understanding that kind of makes the, just the foundation of the work like um, true because there's a dialectic basically in, in so many things. Mm-hmm. So that is like the kind of the premise of of dbt but dbt is really behavior based skills and there's four modules within dbt the first module being mindfulness so learning how to become more aware in the moment like the example of of utilizing the dishes Mm -hmm. and doing it then Um, but it's also really important for mindfulness because to have mindfulness while you're using dbt because when you're mindful you're going to say like, hey, me and my partner are having a, an argument right now. Mindfully, which skill should I use? So you have to become mindful in order to know like this situation. I'm having an argument with my partner. Maybe I should use the give skill in DBT, which is a skill that helps us uh, learn to be gentler with our with uh, while having interpersonal conflicts and validate someone else and also you know kind of get our needs met as well. So um, yeah, so DBT is just like incredible in terms of uh, learning mindfulness, learning emotional regulation, how to regulate our own emotions, okay. how to have interpersonal relationships with inter- interpersonal effectiveness, mm-hmm. and then distress tolerance, which is where we're having a lot of distress so much distress, almost like crisis type of distress mm-hmm. and skills in order to bring yourself down. So it, there's okay. skills basically for, for, um, for so much and it's cool. been life-changing for me. And then, you know, at this point working within the industry as a, as a mindfulness professional and, you know, a fitness professional as well, um, and helping people, in this way and working within DBT, I mean, it's just like, it's, it's really been, uh, rewarding because I've been, I've been the patient. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I know one of the things that you mentioned was the, uh, I'm not sure how you phrased it, but the opposite. Mm-hmm. So like, I don't the dialectic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, the, I like laying in my bed right now, but I know I need to eat food or I know I need to make food. 
you called it the opposite action, I think. Yeah, opposite action. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I see that as like something that's really valuable. Kind of just doing the thing that you don't want to do. And eventually, like, you do feel better after that. You feel better yeah. after you eat a meal. If you haven't, mm-hmm. if you've been laying in bed all day, just scrolling on your phone, me personally, yeah. feel me- I feel so much better. Right. I try to transition into the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. Yeah. The best days I have is when I'm not on my phone at all. Right. Right? Yeah. And I think that's such a, a good point because with your example, it's like, you know, using the opposite action skill of DBT, it's about action. And like, that is something that can be really, really hard when you're laying in your bed to be like, wait, I have to take action. The opposite of what I want to do, but I know in the long term, it's going to benefit me versus the short term. Yeah. So a way that I combat that and is using this five second rule where I like give myself five seconds. Some people say three seconds, but I think five seconds is like, is just mentally like easier for me but i give myself five seconds to then take opposite action yeah because i have a hard time going from like one straight into the other like i think even a five second transition where i'm mentally preparing myself to turn the other way Mm -hmm. is good so i'll like give myself five seconds and count down five four three take a deep breath two one and it go and it is about action and it's about doing doing the opposite but actually like oftentimes when we begin, it's not that hard because we actually are finding enjoyment once we're beginning to do the thing. It's just the kinetic energy of, of pushing in that yeah. direction. So yeah. the five-second rule is, is something that I teach others as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because once you're moving, it's not too hard to transition into something else. Exactly. Like If you've been moving for a while, doing other things isn't hard. If you've been stagnant for a while, doing anything is hard. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, no, that's, that's valuable, valuable information. And so you learned those two, and then you transitioned into tapping. Was that next? Yeah. So, EFT? Yeah, I began to work. And what does EFT stand for? Uh, EFT stands for Emotional Freedom Technique. Okay. And that is a tapping technique of tapping on the different meridian points um, within this uh, protocol. Mm-hmm. And so I first had it when I hired my first coach mindset coach and she gave me what a session and I did the tapping and I was like blown away by by it uh because I had just never found something I thought I had to do like a half hour to an hour of yoga in order to really like calm myself down or sit in meditation when that felt nearly impossible and I did have like you know distress tolerance skills for in DBT, but I found EFT tapping or emotional freedom technique to be so easy to utilize uh, in the moment, and I could only I could do like you know three to five rounds which of it, which only takes like three minutes, and I could find that basically like the amygdala, what it does by tapping on the points is like is it the amygdala which fires during our fight and flight response. Um, begins to calm as we are tapping on these different, basically acupressure points. Mm-hmm. So I even do it nowadays. If someone, if my friend is telling me a stressful story, like, and I can be a bit uh, empathic probably because of like my past and also just kind of my nature. So I, instead of like feeling like, you know, I, I have techniques that I use to help my, me, me stay, you know, 
as like, this is their story, not mine. But I do even utilize EFT tapping techniques as someone is like saying something um, and I'll tap on a certain point or even do like some subtle tapping that I learned within my, uh, my certification to be a practitioner in it. Mm. Like I'll utilize different points as someone's talking, like I said, even subtle points, just so I'm relaxing my amygdala as they're talking about their stress mm. or trauma. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So then what is, what is the purpose? It's so it's to relax the fight or flight. Yeah. Right. And it basically, it brings down the cortisol in the body, which the cortisol is, is, uh, your stress hormones or mm -hmm. one of your stress hormones. And, um, it can be, yeah, it basically, it brings down the, the, the stressor. But what I really mm -hmm. like about EFT tapping is that. As you're tapping, you can do, you can say what's going on. And if yeah. you're doing it with someone, as I do it with, with clients, like I, I am, they're repeating after me. So I am saying like, you know, I'm so stressed about work and they're, cause they have explained that this is like something that they're dealing with. Yeah. And then, you know, they repeat it as they're tapping. So I, we bring up the quote unquote negative. Yeah. And that is something that I do find when paired with tapping to be really helpful because I sometimes think that talking about the negative things is important, but also it gives them a lot of power, like, like seven, four to seven times more powerful when we talk about the negative things. Yeah. Apparently it says studies. So, but when paired with tapping, it's like basically reprogramming the meridians. So the, the energetic systems within the body and also the brain to realize that, that, you know, this stressor is actually, I can relax as I'm like thinking about this stressor. Yeah. And so it like is a whole new correlation, not only mentally and energetically and physiology, physiologically, a different, uh, a whole different relationship to your stressors. So we bring up the stressor, we can dive deep into the stressor. And then yeah. once the relaxation has happened, I've had clients go from like a nine out of 10 stressed down to anywhere from like a five or below. Once they hit that level where they've come down a lot as we're talking about the stressor, that is when we can begin to bring in more of the quote unquote positive affirmations of how they want to feel. So the empowering mm. statements. And that is when- Still I, while tapping. Still while tapping, exactly. Okay. So that is when I see sometimes the, the level of the, the stressor go down all the way to uh, two out of 10, one out of 10, completely peaceful, a zero out of 10. And, and we've just been talking about something that's been stressing them out or yeah. a, something that has been really hard for them for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I teach this to people in order to empower themselves because once you learn it, I mean, it is, it is extremely worthwhile to learn to do on your own in social situations it, at times when your partner, your mother is stressing you out, just learning how mm -hmm. to regulate the brain and the body uh, during stressors. And so I find it to be one of my maintenance tools That's as well awesome. as like a, a healing tool at various points, but I find it to be very good for maintenance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've heard, uh, I had another friend that, that used that in therapy um, mm -hmm. as a relation, as a way to get over trauma yeah. in the past mm -hmm. and how valuable it was for him. Cause it was kind of like, 
more so than like an active stressor, but a stressor that's happened five years ago, 10 years ago from childhood yeah. as ways to work through that. I was like, oh, that's, that's really cool. I've, I've seen it come up little bits, but haven't dove into it as much as this, but sounds really valuable. I mean, you, you must see the, the benefits in, in yourself and in clients yeah. from, from working through stuff like that. So mm-hmm. that's awesome. Yeah, it's been tremendously helpful. And yeah. I, I find that people who even struggle, I mean, like I've learned how to do it for clients struggling with body image and, you know, food cravings, mm-hmm. all types of things. Like tapping is so, so powerful. So, yeah. you know, as much as the, you know, being in the gym and helping people like that was great and counting their reps was cool and teaching them how to exercise was great back in the day when I was doing that um, in, in the gym and yeah. the wellness centers that I worked in. But, um, but really teaching people now as a fitness and mindset professional doing these things for clients where I teach them how to find peace and liberation using these tools and yes, you probably will see changes on the outside of you. And if those are your goals, I don't want to negate that, but it goes so much deeper and it really is like completely liberating. Um, and that is why I've, I've been working in my business it's called body liberation because that is just yeah. so, um, just utilizing the tools that have saved me and have literally, I would not be where I am, um, without these tools. So I really like, uh, embodying this in order to help others because this isn't like about me yeah. this is like really and I'm just like the person a person who has done some things but it's it's this is like for others this is that that is like I'm I'm here to help others and I'm helping others do and find the liberation that you know they maybe have been wanting I'm a lot of people have been wanting around uh diet culture and exercise and you know wanting to change and our habits and those things and I've just making it easier and more liberating is uh on a level is is why I'm here yeah Yeah. and that's awesome like I I know you were very much about changing relationship with with food and diet and and certain aspects but diving Mm -hmm. into this seems like so much more in-depth that you work with your clients on. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really cool to get the, the insight of, of how much help you provide to those that, that come to you. Mm. So that's really awesome. I do want to dive into TM as well, Transcendental yeah. Meditation. Yeah. So how'd you get into that one? Yeah. How'd so you find out about that? I actually found out from a friend, and I have a, a bit of a non-traditional approach um, and traditionally TM, you are going to, uh, the T like the, they teach you how to do it within the, t- the TM. So, uh, just for full transparency, I, I did not go and get taught. It's like a source, to- right? Yeah. It's like trademark too. I'm pretty sure. That's funny. TM. That's- Everybody knows the TM. Uh, yeah. I do TM. It's like a Hollywood thing. Exactly. I know Jerry Seinfeld did it and. They have plenty of other like testimonials of famous people. Yeah. But it is like a course. Like I think it's like two hundred and fifty dollars when I right. checked or yeah. something like that. Exactly. So it it and for me, I just I had been meditating for pretty much daily for like maybe a year and a half. Mm-hmm. And I 
was like, I really want to, to try TM meditation because my friend had inspired me because she started practicing it. And, and I was like so curious about it. So basically what TM is, is they give you, when you go to this course, they give you your mantra. Mm. And, and your mantra is something that you repeat over and over and over again in your silent meditation. So it's a way to focus the mind. Um, and they give this mantra to you. So it's very special and, and they give it to you and you don't tell anyone your whole life. Mm. It is so like sacred in that way where it's like you don't tell anyone your mantra because then you don't relate it to your friend or your brother who you told your, your mantra to. It's like it's just yours. Yeah. So, so that is the traditional sense and uh, those who are interested should seek out you know, that, that, that route. And like I said, for me, I was like, I just want to pick my own mantra. Yeah. So I, I picked uh, my mantra and I haven't told anyone it, but I, I picked a mantra for myself and um, it's just a sound. Um, so not really correlating to anything in the English language that the language that I speak, mm-hmm. but, um, that is how I began. And I, I, like I said, I've been meditating for probably a year and a half, but again, I don't expect people to jump into meditation necessarily. For me, it kind of started with random mindfulness practices, but if, and if you want to try meditation, go for it. I just have found that transcendental meditation to be, um, after utilizing this mantra, I was meditating for maybe 12 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And in, tr- in transcendental meditation, it was about, it's 20 minutes, um, two times a day. And for me, pushing it to the 20 minute mark has made crazy difference in the way I feel like at the end of the meditation. Yeah. And also, the there's something about transcendental meditation that they give the analogy of like the ocean. So like our minds are like an ocean and the waves on the top are our thoughts. And there can be a whole big storm happening even on the top of the water. And that if we can practice transcendental meditation and repeating our mantra for the 20 minutes at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day is the traditional practice. If, if you can begin to practice that, then it's like the storm at the top of the ocean, you actually, as you begin to practice transcendental meditation during your practice, meditation, you kind of come down towards the bottom of the ocean. So there can be, there can be, you know, a crazy storm happening at the top in our thoughts, but through this practice, you can't, I mean, an intention is like to not really even feel that storm during this practice. And for me, that happens a little bit later on in the 20 minute mark. Mm -hmm. So I, I found that around yeah, sometimes around the last few minutes is when I really reach more of that state of like peacefulness, even though I have a lot of stuff going on that day or a lot of just thoughts like plaguing me in general. Yeah. Um, I'm able to kind of find a peacefulness that yeah. I wasn't able to, to reach the depth of maybe before. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hugely valuable to be able to disconnect from the thoughts that we're having or the the constant, I mean, it's been called the monkey mind. Mm-hmm. Constantly needed to focus on something or whatever is going. Exactly, yeah. whatever's going on, I just need to focus on it to be able to calm that mm-hmm. and and focus elsewhere. Just 
give your mind the space to let something else naturally flow in. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's completely totally valuable, yeah. and like meditation is is so valuable in that respect too. That, that you can have that time to let something fresh come in. Yeah. Let something that's that's not so like crazy driven, like monkey mind focused to come in. Yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. And I think like for a lot of people, just deciding I'm going to meditate and try to like keep my mind blank, not think about anything and come back to my breath when it does. That's mm. good. Yeah. But I have found that having something to focus on, um, you know, it, it has really been really changed, changed a lot for me. And I, I could see how for others who find that the idea of meditation to be like too hard to, to really reach that state. I totally get that. I've been there. So yeah, use, utilizing, uh, a strategy and I wouldn't say it is TM meditation because it is, you know, I've, I've picked my own yeah. mantra, but, uh, utilizing some of the, of the values and, and the strategy within that, um, at this point has been really, really beneficial and yeah, I would, I would, I love it. Nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. So when did you start running your own business? When did you make that a, I'm going to do this and this is when I launched and your website and yeah, yeah. Kind of, kind of what you do. It's, it's body liberation, right? That's yeah. the name. Yeah. It was about, it was after I had left the, working at the psychiatric hospital Okay. and I was like, I need, I want to go back to my roots. Like I love exercise. I know the ins and outs of it. I love all these like nutrition and it was so it was at the beginning of the pandemic um, and realizing that my business where I would go to clients and help them with their exercise and meditation, it was great, but it wasn't going to work during a pandemic. So I was like, how do I do this? How do I create a business? And do it so it was like I was almost clueless on how to ha make this happen as an online business so I, I, I hired my first business coaches um, to help me lay the foundation of strategies in order to to do that so yeah that was how it started at the beginning of the pandemic that's awesome yeah yeah I forget how valuable hiring business coaches can be yeah and i I do think it's it's very valuable and it's really important to find the right person because like even in my line of work, like sure, you can hire a personal trainer in person, you can hire an online fitness coach, but finding the right person, you know some people will just focus on the strategy, so you might find an online fitness coach to that focuses on how to work out and what to eat and what not to eat. Awesome. Great. And if that is what you want, that's awesome. But there's a lot of different people. Like for instance, I bring a lot of mindset work into feeling this liberation and into the experience of exercise and nutrition and, and how to really basically heal and formulate a relationship with ourselves. And for me, once I began to learn that within business, I had to find the right person to really help me and learning the the mindset around business to be so important because mm. like I could learn all the strategies, but if my mindset wasn't there, if I was scared to do the things, if I was, if I was holding myself back, if I was doing the, you know, just had a lot of doubt or d disbelief in myself and my yeah. mission, then it, it was not going to, to work. I could learn all the strategies, but I wasn't going to do it. 
And yeah. the same thing with exercise and nutrition. If you can learn the strategies, but if the mindset's not there, then it's just not the same. It's not yeah. going to work the same. Yeah, I've, I've noticed that for me, business has always been something that it's it's been tough to kind of crack into mm-hmm. or tough to really like get to the level that I've wanted to. So that's why I really like value when you said you hired a business coach yeah. to help get you over that hurdle, mm-hmm. which is which is awesome. Yeah. Um, but business has definitely been an aspect. It's like sometimes a lot of confusion around it. How do I get clients? How do I want to go about things? Yeah. There's a million ways you could go about doing it, yeah. whether it's like results driven or market driven or just straight up analysis of like put out this and I get this results back. Right. Put out that and I get that results back versus doing what you feel compelled to put out mm. and different things. So there's like different strategies like that. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's really awesome that you hired a business coach to help. Yeah. Help you navigate the, the beginnings or the, the aspects that, that can be troublesome. Yeah. So you, you started that in the beginning of the pandemic? Mm-hmm. And nice. I was focused then on, on helping healthcare workers. So I wanted to help healthcare workers do this because of the pandemic. So that was my first mission was to help women who are working in healthcare. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's funny. Ironically, a lot of healthcare workers need a lot of help. True. They need a lot of like health care. Yeah. yeah. Like it's it's really ironic. I spent various times in hospitals and certain mm-hmm. healthcare workers are really unhealthy. Yeah. It's wild. Yeah, and you know, because it's like that that world, it's not even like set up for their optimization. It's, it's really not. No. Twelve hour shifts are not optimal for anybody. Exactly. Three twelve I think they do normally three twelve hour shifts for a week, sometimes maybe right. four, I think. Yeah. Um but yeah, that's that's definitely taxing mentally. Yeah, exactly. And like and so yeah, helping women who are in that world because I've felt that during the pandemic they they needed the love and attention. So that was my first mission was to help women who are working in healthcare. Nice. And then uh and then really starting to come into my alignment within like my purpose here was something that I led me into opening it up to all all people mm-hmm. um mostly focused in helping women but I am open to helping anyone yeah um but I I really when I started to get into like alignment with my my mission that is when things really started to change Doug I have to tell you like things started to really shift so I had so it's been about a couple years working in my business but when the alignment started to happen and when I was working with someone to help me, a coach to get me into my alignment mm-hmm. with that, that is when the shifts really started to happen. I literally started to see changes mm-hmm. within myself, within my response, within how lit up I was to do the work. Like, yeah. and that was everything. Like, yeah, I, I was so, I mean, I just wasn't as... I loved helping women in healthcare, but I was ready for something different. And so finding... Like again, finding that alignment was yeah. crucial, and I've seen a lot of changes um, after doing that. Yeah. So, what were some of those things that helped get you into that alignment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's that's usually like the little hurdles that you get over to to bring you to the next level. Like that helped you level up. Yeah. So, what were some of those things that that helped you? Like, what were some of those hurdles you had to get over? What what helped you level up? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was. It was hiring the right person who could get into my mind and help me do this. Um, And, but what I got from that was this, 
ability to trust myself in business. And that was something that I wasn't taught within my first couple business coaches that I had hired. It wasn't about trusting myself. And that comes into play even in talking with people about about my business and what I do. There was, you know, they want to give me the strategies. This is how you do it. This is what you say. And this yeah. is how you answer. This is how you sell it. This is how you sell. And yeah. this is how you make a quote unquote sales call. This is, that's yeah. not what I do these days. Yeah. This is like, I am basically what I, I'd say what changed for me was looking, asking myself instead of like turning towards someone and I did need the strategies in the beginning. Like I needed the strategies of how do I create this like this app that the clients and I work through? How do I create uh you know the calls that are so momentous into holding them accountable, keeping them in alignment? How do I do that? Like the strategies, yes, but after a certain point it was like how do I what feels good for me and what would feel good for them? And like, that is all what it is about for me at this point. And realizing that my, even like my marketing, like I do have to use my face literally, obviously like to get on a live video or to, uh, you know, share what I'm doing a lot of times, but it's not about me. And that is something that I found very helpful for me, like mm. is talking about myself is something that I've had to get a little bit more comfortable with, but, and I think that like, I'm just realizing it's not about me. Like this is about serving others. And so the biggest strategy that I've learned is like checking in with, with my, not my brain, with my body. Yeah. About like, hmm, you know, strategically doing this or like what feels really good and what would feel really good because that is honestly when I like, get the most out of it and others do too is when I'm like lit up excited and um and feel in alignment others feel that that's totally true a hundred percent yeah others can feel that Mm -hmm. sounds like you took a more intuitive way Mm -hmm. to promote different things yeah just in the intuitive sense all all in my business um yeah and of course it's like it's it's has a, a lot of great uh, protocols and strategies and those are always there but and just like the same way we talked about earlier with like someone's nutrition like you can get strategic about it and that's great and I do that too mm-hmm. but like learning how to trust yourself learning how to build a relationship with yourself yeah. learning how to make business fun mm-hmm. which is something that totally went out the window yeah and like learning that like I can be in both a like mental headspace of I'm in my, my workflow, but like learning how to make it fun and pleasurable and enjoyable yeah. is like what kept me, is keeping me coming back to it. That's a skill in itself. Totally. Yeah. Cause I've gotten into different ventures that are just, I've found it's so money focused that there's very little fun in it. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's kind of just like a drag and like, it's all about the future payoff and like I'm dreading what I'm going through and and sometimes that is worth it. Like sometimes the payoff is, is great enough, but it, it's, it also kind of, you sacrifice the performance in, in the now, in the short term or in the, in what you're putting out. Cause mm-hmm. people can tell if, if you're not totally behind what you're pushing. Yeah. 
They can totally tell that. Mm-hmm. And, and I do find um, that sharing like our own stories is always valuable. People love hearing stories. Yeah. Like people love hearing what other people have gone through or how they got there mm-hmm. and whatnot. Stories are, everybody loves stories. Yeah, I think our, our literal nature is like to want a beginning, middle, and end. And yeah. a story really does It's that. to want storytelling. Yeah. It's telling stories around a fire or mm-hmm. like even before like written history was, was down, it was passing down history through stories. Yeah. Parables and everything. So mm-hmm. people love stories. I love stories. Everybody yeah. loves stories. So uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, and that that is something that honestly has helped me too because before... Uh, in the beginning of business, I wasn't sharing my story and I wasn't sharing like why I am so passionate about what I do and why what I do is so massively helpful Yeah, is because like I've said, I've been you, I've been there before. Yeah. I've been the, you know, the one who really needed the help, uh, on how to formulate my own well-being because I was so far from it so far from it yeah. and I had even like I said had learned through my education through six years of, of formal education and tons of certifications but how how quickly that can slip away and how far from who like you know how far far down I had gone in my well-being it's it's so I mean I've been there too so it's just like you know, I, I really can relate to a lot of my, my clients and a lot of my of people who just have been in similar situations and have triumphed because we all have a story, Doug. And it's so yeah. true how, like, we all have overcome a lot. And um, and being, like, proud of that. And, and sometimes, like I said earlier, learning to advocate for yourself, learning to say, like, I do, I do need help in this area. I do not know how to start this. I don't know how to be held accountable in this where it feels good and exciting. I don't know how to make this exciting. And sometimes, like, being ready and sometimes even, like, not even being ready, but being, like, willing Yeah. to, to begin to be, like, I, I want help in this. Yeah. And I, I'm ready to ask for it. <laughs> yeah. Like such a, a, it can literally like shift the direction of, of your life because it's not it to mine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah to, to recognize that you need help and then also seeking it out. Mm-hmm. Like I need help. This has been an issue that's come up many times. Let me start going out. Let me start asking some other people. Let me start crowdsourcing an answer. Let me find somebody who I resonate with mm-hmm. and all that. Yeah. 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 It's, it's extremely valuable. Yeah, no, you're you're definitely doing a, a fantastic thing. So you have, I believe you you have a website. Yeah, I have a, a website. I have a social media. Um, what is your website? So my website is I have to pull it up. I think it's um. Okay, I'm gonna link it in the the okay, podcast yeah, details and everything. It's like, yeah, it's and like, everyone will get to find you on Instagram and every every way they. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah it's um my Instagram is Morgan Sunray. Sunray. So, um, nice. and, uh, and yeah, you can visit my website or, uh, I'm really active on, on social media and Facebook as well. As yeah. Morgan Ray. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I said it before and I really like seeing the things that you do post because it's a new way to look at, yeah, it's a way to look at diet, mm-hmm. way to look at exercise and our relationship with it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's incredibly valuable. I know I'm doing really well when I have a different thought that's 
not the normal way I look at something. So like a fun example is that like I remember one time I was making a left-hand turn on this road that had, was a two-lane road. So I was making a left-hand turn. Uh-huh. I was going slow. So the person coming from the left beeped at me, honked at me. And I was like, oh, they must know me. Yeah. <laughs> and just yeah. like, oh, that's hilarious. Like that, that's the thought that pops up. They obviously don't know me. They're upset that I'm going <laughs> slow. But I'm like, oh, they must know me. <laughs> This is great. And like thoughts like that really make me laugh and and bring joy into the moment. And so seeing the things that you post up about, like your post Thanksgiving one about, I'm not going to get on your case about having to go work out right now. It's like, wow, this is a refreshing view. Uh And and those refreshing views, you don't necessarily see them all the time. Uh And so it's refreshing when you do come by it. Mm -hmm. So so seeing the things that you do post is, is really nice because... Everybody can use a refreshing view, hands down. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it feels good to, to share the things that have helped me and are helping others. And um, so, yeah, I appreciate that you, you find them to be influential amongst the, the things we, we see online. So yeah. that, that is super, yeah, for sure. super nice. Yeah, there's some things that you see that aren't too great. And then some things you see that it's like, Ooh, that's refreshing. I like hearing that. That's, I haven't heard that before. Yeah. So, so, yeah, I really appreciate the things you put out. So keep putting them out. Thank you so much. Yeah, Jimmy. yeah. Thank you for coming on. It's, it's really awesome. I love having these conversations. It's, it's just, yeah. like, I told you before, I have so many of these conversations, or I've had so many of these, that I'm like, I need to record this. Mm. Plus, I love getting to know... <laughs> I love getting to know people. I love getting to know how they got into things. Yeah. And then the things they overcame to get to where they're at. Mm. And so, like, I'm sure if we talk again in a couple of years, you'll have more things that you've gotten over yeah. to get through and to, to a further point. But I just, I love getting to know people and hearing their stories. Like, stories are fantastic and, and uh, I love it. So I love doing this and I love giving other people the spotlight. Because there's a lot of people that I know that are doing great things, you and your body liberation mm. and your business and... And like other people, it's it's just really great to bring a spotlight and also to share. Because there's a lot of people out there that are doing a lot of great things yeah. and just making more people aware of it. Yeah. So I don't know how many people listen to this. I get not too, too many. I think like 100 people listen Amazing. sometimes. Yes. But like still. Yeah. I love it. And it's, it's <laughs> great. And like it's so true. We like all have a story and we're all, um, and I love hearing other people's up to and so I'm thank you so much for having me I'm like super happy and, and honored to share my story with you and with yeah. your listeners yeah whatever ones do listen yeah yeah right so this is gonna be on YouTube um it's also on like Apple Podcasts and Spotify too amazing so, yeah so cool. you can share it with whoever want to look at it. it's diving and thriving podcast I love it the diving and thriving podcast yes so throw a nice little intro but yeah awesome yeah anything left you want to share before we wrap it up I just, I want to share something quickly just about grace and just like having grace with ourselves. Take as long as you want. Yeah. Just like, <laughs> just having grace with yourself. It can be so beneficial uh, because sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to change because like we've mentioned in this podcast that like the, we always want to fix something. So it's just human nature. So just having grace with yourself and I, for me that means like easing up and because sometimes I think that 
we think we have to be so hard on ourselves in order to meet our goals or what we want for our lives. And, and actually, if we really think about it, like how helpful is that? Like sometimes, like sometimes it's helpful and sometimes a bit of that is helpful. But for me and for a lot of people, like stacking the pressure on can kind of make it so we can't like move so well. So I have found that an antidote to that to be like giving yourself grace and like, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily mean like, oh, I'm giving myself grace, so I'm just going to stay here on social media for another hour. But it means just like almost like I wouldn't say instead of the the like feeling like, oh, I'm so I'm doing the worst thing or oh my gosh, like this is not what I want to be doing. And we're putting like these negative projections on ourselves. It's like neutral or better. So it's like, this is like neutral and I'm ready to use a skill to change my direction. And first I'm gonna give myself grace. Like I'm just, I'm not like, and that comes down to even like nutrition stuff too. Like it's like just giving yourself some grace, especially after like a big meal, like you mentioned, like Thanksgiving, like you, you let yourself eat it guilt-free, like let it follow you into the next day. Yeah. So I think like giving yourself just grace and also then you can you can turn and pivot. Like, um, it, it's really helpful for, for, for me, um, to, to allow that grace to come in when mm. we're being really hard, when I'm being really hard on myself. So yeah. Yeah. yeah it I sounds like you suffer with that. I know I suffer with that being too hard on myself. Yeah. I know a lot of, of people do. do. Yeah. A lot of people do. So mm. yeah, it's a nice thing to remind, to, to keep in the forefront of our minds. Don't try not to be too hard on ourselves. Yeah, exactly. Like there's still things we can do, but give yourself that grace and basically like let yourself love, love yourself even, even when it, things aren't exactly where you want them to be. Like allowing yourself, yeah. Because yeah. really like if we want something so much and we might not be there, like there's this, this distance from where we are now to where we want to be and sometimes when we can just like love ourselves the way we are now, it actually brings in so much energy into, into ourselves in the moment. Yeah. And that's sometimes really what we need to begin to, to start walking in a direction that feels good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really valuable. I mean, a lot of times like we wait until that future moment when I have this, I'll be happy. Yeah. When I'm this way, I'll be happy. Mm -hmm. And it's tough to revamp that into I'm happy now. Because mm -hmm. you look to that future thing and it's once you get that future thing, a lot of times you're going to be looking to the next thing. Exactly. And then you're constantly chasing happiness. You're chasing something. Yeah. It's just a little bit out of reach. Right. A little bit or a lot out of reach. And uh -huh. Yeah. Sometimes and even when you get it, it might not be the most fulfilling. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. And just learning to like have grace and to love yourself at least even just a little bit or be neutral about, about yourself um, is another way I like to put it too because sometimes love can feel really hard and a huge thing. So just more neut neutralness even if it's not mm. like the most, um, you know, the most love, just, just neutral. And th that is really helpful in order to, to begin to shift in a direction that feels better. Nice. Yeah. I like it. Thanks. I think that's a great way to end it. <laughs> cool. Thank you for coming on, Morgan. So I really good. appreciate it. Yeah. So much so. so. Much. I think everybody had a great time listening for whoever did. Yes. So good. Thanks All so right. much, Doug. It's my pleasure. Until next time. Yes. <laughs>